In this series, this is part two of our little mini series that we're doing. In this series, I want us to think about the idea. I want us to think about this, this mindset that Christians are to be and should be different than the world around us. We should stick out like a sore thumb. But sadly, I think what's happening in the world around us is that many Christians are not sticking out. Rather, they are trying to blend in and not be noticed whatsoever. Uh, as, as we begin this, I, I want to read a quote uh, from a guy named A.W. Pink. He was a theologian from the early 1900s. He wrote this. The writer has met many people who profess to be Christians, but whose daily lives differ in nothing from thousands of non-professors all around them. They are rarely, if ever, found in the prayer meetings. They have no family worship. They seldom read the scriptures. They will not talk to you about the things of God Their walk is thoroughly worldly, and they are quite sure they are bound for heaven. Inquire into the ground of their confidence, and they will tell you that so many years ago they accepted Christ as their Savior, and well, once saved, always saved, is now their comfort. There are thousands of such people on earth today who are nevertheless on the broad road that leads to destruction, treading it with a false peace in their heart and a vain profession on their lips. That's from A.W. Pink. Ladies and gentlemen, Christians should look different than the world around them and we don't and here's the thing we don't even have to do anything grandiose or or crazy in order to stick out just living a life that is called to holiness and the pursuit of God will cause us to be different than the world around us just living a biblical life will cause us to be different than those that we interact with every single day. Case in point, like I, I want you to, I posted this earlier in the week, Exodus chapter 20, verse seven. This is one of the 10 commandments. I want us to, like, to think about the gravity of this verse. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. That's from the Living, uh, New Living Translation. Uh, I, I want us to think about the gravity of that verse alone. That, the, the gravity of that text should stop us in our tracks. How many of us in our daily lives use this? Or we'll walk through it. Oh, my God. Oh, Lord. Or, as you see on TV, people, I don't know why. There's nobody else in movies that, oh, Buddha. Oh, Allah. Nobody's saying, they're like, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, I want you, what that is, is that is using the Lord's name in vain. And the scripture says, you will be punished because God's name is to be revered as holy. What we're doing when we use that terminology is we're taking God's name and substituting it for a curse word. We're using God's name as a four-letter cuss word. Let me ask you, would you do that with your mother? Would you take your mom's name and be like, oh, Janie Gordon. Would you be gross and, and, and with, a, with a sense of disgust 
by using your mom's name? No, I wouldn't do that. Well, then why in the world would you do that with the, with the holy name of Jesus? And here's the thing. I've even caught myself this week. I was in the car yesterday. And I said to my wife, I said, oh, dear God, don't do that. And I was like, oh, there it is. I did it myself. How wicked can I even be sometimes? And it caught, like, it caught me off guard. We are to be different. The gravity of God's holiness should stop us in our tracks. And the idea is that Christians should think before they act. They should think before they speak. Think what you're going to say and what I do. Is it going to glorify God and please the Lord Jesus Christ? But what I'm about to speak, what I'm about to do, what I'm about to partake in, is that going to glorify the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you can say, well, I don't think so, then why in the world are you going to say those things or do those things? So when I read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, the thing that says here is, Therefore, preparing your minds for action. The first thing you see in the text is the word therefore. And when you see the word therefore, it is written to say, what, and you have to ask yourself, well, what does that mean? Well, when you see the word therefore, it means because of what has just been said. So what we need to do is we need to go back a little bit further in the text because in order to, to read it in context, we need to see exactly what the therefore is Therefore, so go back up to verse 3, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, by God's power and are being guarded through, his, through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. So, number one, why should Christians be different? Why should we look any different or be any different than the world around us? Why should we long to see and pursue the things that are holy and be set apart? Why should we long for these things? Because... We have been born again. You are a twice born man or woman in a once born world. We've been given a new nature. We've been given an inheritance that cannot be destroyed. We should look different because we, because we have been given this, this hope, this love from Christ that's supreme above all else. The love you have for Jesus should trump now listen to me, the love you have for Jesus Christ should trump everything else in this world. Amen? Like, the love you have for Christ should trump the love you have for your own family. We should look different. We should be different. Why? Why? We were dead in our trespasses and we've been raised to life. We've been, we were dead people and the breath of life was breathed into our souls and we had hearts of stone and God turned those 
stone cold dead hearts into beating flesh. This alone should stir our hearts enough to want to follow and love and pursue Christ above everything else. First Corinthians chapter 16 verse 22 says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be damned. If you don't love Christ supremely, you should be and will be damned. I didn't say that. The Bible did. Heaven is being prepared exclusively for those who love and belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do not love Christ supremely, heaven is not your home. If you love your sin more than you love Christ, heaven's not your home. You're give, you're, it's what's being prepared for you is an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you by God's power. And God is the one who is guarding that inheritance. God Almighty is, is guarding that through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last times. When Christ comes and brings his, his bride home, that's the reward. Christ is the one who brings us to this inheritance and is he who protects and guards this inheritance. This is for us as true believers. This thing is not just for anyone. It's for those who supremely see Jesus as he should be seen. The triune sovereign king of the universe and they fall down and worship him. In fact, like, think, like, I want you to see this in verse 12. In verse 12, what you and I have been given, this reconciliation, this redemption, this forgiveness, what you and I have been given by God Almighty, angels, angels long to see what we have. How do you, so how do you know that, Caleb? Verse 12 tells us in 1 Peter. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you, the Holy Spirit sent that the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Think about that. Angels have full access. They're in heaven right now, but man, they're like, man, I wish I could see what human beings get to see. I wish I could experience what human beings get to experience. And they long to see what you and I get access to. But what do we do as human beings? Golly, I wish this thing would hurry up and get over. I want to go to the lake. I want to go to the golf course. I want to go play my Xbox. I want to go do this. I want to do that. I don't really care. I don't really. How do we know you don't care? Because you don't pursue God supremely. Man, you don't think you've got something special. Think again, brothers and sisters. Angels long to see these things. So now. Therefore, because of all that was just said about what Christ has done on your behalf, therefore, what? Prepare your mind for action. Prepare your mind for action in verse 13. This first idea of the text is to to get ready for what's coming. Get ready. It's a military training idea. What are we talking about? Memorial Day weekend? What? 
What do our men and women in the military, what do they do? Man, they, they train until the world looks level. They know the enemy is not going to let up one single solitary inch, so they can't either. They prepare for every possible scenario. They don't just coast along in their training. They prepare to fight as if their lives depended on it because it just might one day. The same idea is relayed in this text. Prepare your mind for action. The mind is the battlefield. Your mind is the battlefield. Every sin begins in the mind. And this is why the word of God tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, that we, Christians, destroy arguments in every lofty opinion that's raised against the knowledge of God. And we are to take every thought captive to obey Christ. You and I are to take every thought captive. And then some of us don't even try to take thought. We just let it run loose. Let our minds run loose. It is a battleground and the enemy knows the battleground well. And he knows you. He knows what you like, what you don't like, where you trip up. He knows. And so he's like, he's preparing. The enemy is always preparing for battle. You and I as Christians are called to prepare our minds. Steal your mind. Prepare them. Because if we're not obeying Christ, we are obeying our flesh. Don't believe the lie that we don't have to train our minds to follow Christ. We are not called just to do some sort of osmosis where we take the word of God and just... Alright, I'm better. I'm ready now. That's not what we're called to do. It's not some sort of divine osmosis. We got to train. We got to study. We got to read. And some of you don't even pick up the Bible. This is the first time it's been picked up maybe in weeks. But you think you're going you're gonna to win the battle? There's a reason you're getting the trash kicked out of you. It's because you're not training your minds for action. We're called to action. We're called to train our minds. We don't just do some sort of divine osmosis to the word. We have to absorb it by studying and reading it and then grafting it and memorizing it. We need to have family worship where we get together and we pray with one another. We talk about the things of Christ with our kids. Man, some of you guys aren't even remotely touching that. You're like, well, my kids don't live. I got my grandkids though. Then talk to your grandkids about Christ. No, we are to actually train our minds and prepare for action. We have to train ourselves in godliness. First Timothy chapter four, verse seven and eight says, having nothing to do, have nothing to do with silly or irreverent myths, but rather train yourself in godliness for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. It holds a promise for the present life and for the life to come. Like, here's the deal. Um, it says to train yourself in godliness. And there's going to be a benefit both now and later in eternity if you train yourself in this. And what many of us do, you, man, you slough off training for godliness. But man, you're training your body. You guys working out. Man, listen, my buddy Aaron, he comes and plays music here. Man, he's been taking me to the gym the last couple weeks. And man, he's been whipping me into shape. And man... Yeah, is it good to work out? Absolutely. The Word of God says so. 
It just says, for while bodily training is of some value, so there is some value, but some of us are putting all our, all our chips in that bag. We're putting all of our, our, our eggs in that basket. And let's be honest, your body is going to wear down. Can I get an amen from somebody? How many of you guys have a pain today that you didn't have yesterday? Jamie, that's not talking about me. Okay. Why'd she look at me and say, amen, Sam? Your body's going to wear down. I don't care how many sit-ups you do, how many miles you run, how many Pilates you're going to do. Man, you will eventually, if the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't return, you're going to die. And what we need to be doing in this room is preparing our spirits for what's coming. We need to be training ourselves in godliness. How? We need to be actively involved in church on a regular basis. What did A.W. Pink say in that, in that quote? And they're, they're never found in church. You can't, I mean, can't find them to get to church. Why? I'm busy. I got a lot going on. I, I said earlier, this, yesterday, I said, let's make church the excuse for everything else. So we can you know, say, hey, hey, can you come to the lake? Man, I'd love to, but man, I got church today. Hey, will you want to come play ball today? Man, I'd love to, but I got to come and worship with the saints today. Man, I got to make church the excuse for everything else as to why you can't go and do something else. Church needs to be a regular thing in a believer's life. And if, man, if church, if you're here, you know what the average, the national average for most churchgoers? Once a month. If that was in any other organization or club, you would not be considered a member. You wouldn't even be considered a partner in it. You'd just be like the guy that shows up occasionally, has zero commitment. And I said this last year, what if I was as committed to this place and showing up as you are? What if I, what if I, as your pastor, were as committed to showing up here as, as much as you are? How'd that work out? Pastor, you don't want to be here like once a month. Yeah. You would. And would you guys stand for that? You'd be like, if I only showed up here once a month, you wouldn't be like, Caleb, we want you to be our pastor. Come on in. My old church, we were at Trinity, had 475 members on their rolls. Um, the FBI couldn't find some of them, so we just purged the rolls. And then all of a sudden, they came out of the woodwork and thought they had been eliminated from heaven because their names were erased off of Trinity's membership rolls. Like, we got some phone calls. Our deacons got some phone calls. They're like, how dare you take my name off? Well, we show here, the last time you were here was 1984. Where you at? Well, I'm still in Bartlesville. Where are you going to church? Well, I'm not. Well, then you don't need to be here. Here's your membership. When you're ready to repent and come back, we're glad to take you. But here's your membership. Christians should look different. We need to be actively involved in church. We need to be actively involved in Bible study, both here and outside of here. If this is all the Bible you get during the week, you ain't getting very much. If this is the only time you crack the scriptures open, blow the dust off. Brothers and sisters, you are in. When persecution does come, and trust me, it is coming, you will not last. Be sober-minded. 
The definition of sober-mindedness is someone who is serious and sensible, a person who is studious and logical. This is an example of someone who would be described as sober-minded. When it comes to the things of God, we need to be sober-minded. So many churches right now are nothing more than a giant playground for children acting like adults. They draw to get people into the door. The draw to get people into, into the door is not the word of God, but rather some sort of a fleshly appeal where the pastors either, and I'm not joking about this, the pastors in a rowboat on the stage making some sort of ridiculous assumption about the Bible. Or some pastor jumping up, like, this is, this is a quote from a pastor in Tulsa right now. Uh, his name's Michael Todd. I'll call him out because he's a heretic. Says, doesn't matter if you were in the club last night or if you were in somebody's bed that you didn't belong in last night. God's got a restorative. God's going to sustain you. I'm sorry, what? Really? God, it doesn't matter if you were in the club drunk last night or here. And there's a lot of churches that take that approach. It doesn't matter where you were last night, man, you're here now. And there's no call to repentance. It's, it's just God's got a plan for your life. God's going to sustain you. Someone needs to hear this. That was the next quote. What's the message of this quote? Because on the surface, man, it does sound, well, God's going to sustain you. Oh, praise the Lord. Yeah. Doesn't mean it, it, Michael Todd was not calling anyone to say, listen, repentance is what you need to do. You were in the club last night drunk. According to the scriptures, you're going to hell. You're in somebody's bed you weren't supposed to be in last night. You're committing fornication. You're going to hell. Not by my word, but by the word of God. That's what the word of God says. You say, well, Caleb, I don't like that. Well, take it up with the Lord Jesus Christ because he guards his holiness supremely and he deals with sin swiftly. How can I say that? Look at the bloody cross of Calvary. What did that happen? That's what you deserve. That's what I deserved as a treasonous people. The message here is that this pastor was saying is you can do whatever you want and God's going to restore you. No, he won't. Outside of you, you can do whatever you want, but God's got a plan. Yet you know what that plan is? You know what that plan is? To kill you. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? Death. So what's the, what's the plan for God's, or what's the plan of God in your life if you're living in sin? He's going to kill you eventually if you don't repent. <laughs> Rather, the appeal here is a selfish appeal to the nature. God's got a plan and you need to have a pot. And this is the next quote he said. You just need to be in a posture to receive that plan. <sighs> wow. What? And this is the other thing that just blows my mind. Is people who claim to be Christians. I saw one the other day. A lady um, open, in an open lesbian relationship. Posted a picture. And she said, man, God's just blessing me. God's just blessing me. Well, I'm going to tell you right here. 
God will never bless your sin. He can restrain his wrath from sin because of his grace and mercy, but he is not going to bless your homosexual or heterosexual relationship. So be sober-minded in this. Be sober-minded. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And when it comes to sin, we don't need to be passive. We need to be active in killing our sin in our lives. Because if we don't, our sin is going to kill us. We don't need to feed and play with it and hold it like it's some sort of special little thing. Well, Caleb, it's just a little, it's just a little sin. It's just a little thing. It's just a little lie. It's just a little bit of fleshliness. It's not that big of a deal. We are to kill sin in our lives or it will kill us. The enemy is referred to as a lion. The, a lion is an apex predator. Uh, we were talking about that in Sunday school this morning. I've got a friend, you remember Cedric Mateshi? Cedric came and preached. He's from Kenya, Africa. You know how like we have cows running around and horses and things like we see that as that's normal. They got lions. Nobody's getting out of their car being, oh, look at that sweet thing. Come here, fella. Nobody's getting out, like asking the lion to come. Let's get a selfie. Honey, get the camera. I gotta get a picture with me and me and the apex killing predator here. No, that man, they stay in the car. They make video from the inside of their car, but they're driving. Oh, yep, nope, nope, nope. Nobody's looking to get in, involved and chase after and want to get next to the lion. They stay away from it because they know it is an apex killing predator and it will kill you potentially. But man, some of us are snuggled up to sin. Like, let's get a selfie in here. Come in here, fella. Hashtag I'm blessed. Hashtag God loves me. It's all good. Doesn't matter where I'm at. God's got a blessing for my life. I just got to receive it. Back to 1 Peter chapter 1, 13. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what are we hoping in? You can tell me your hope is set. Or I'm sorry. You can tell what your hope is set on by what you're loyal to. Is your hope to your paycheck? Is your hope to your marriage? Is your hope in your family? Is your hope in your social status? All of those things can be snatched away from you in an instant. We as Christians are to place our hope in Christ. As, the li- as, as they are living... It's a living hope, and Christians are to put every ounce of hope in Christ in the days that we are living in. Let me promise you something, that we are headed towards persecution. The context of this verse, they're in the light of persecution and suffering. It's coming to us who are called Christians. And so this is why Paul or Peter says, listen, You need to be sober-minded. You need to prepare your mind for action. You need to be ready for what's coming. Costi Hinn, who is the nephew of Benny Hinn, who has forsaken the prosperity gospel and has shunned the billion-dollar industry that Benny Hinn has, says um, this. 
What happened in Canada is it to the to biblical pastors, he said, the ground is being laid to arrest all biblical pastors. It started with COVID-19 rulings, but now the ground is laid to say anyone who preaches against sin like homosexuality can be jailed for hate speech. There was a photo last week of a pastor being arrested on a Sunday morning in the parking lot of his church because they decided to, to take God's word and said, you know what? We're not going to forsake the gathering together. God has given us specific information. Don't forsake the gathering together as, as, it is, as you see the beginning. If you, if you believe that I'm coming, don't forsake the gathering together. What did churches do on a whole scale level? We forsook. We go, oh my gosh, we might die. Let me promise you something. You're going to die. You're going to die. Oh, I might get sick. Let me promise you something. You're going to get sick. The scriptures have given us a very clear picture. Do not forsake the gathering together. And so what did this pastor say? We aren't going to forsake. We're going to gather. And guess what? They arrested him in the parking lot. That's coming to America. You think it's not coming? It is. Thank God we're still in, in an area of grace. And now Go- Go- Governor Newsom in California got to pay $1.3 million to churches for, their, for the the silliness. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to stay. We got video going. I'm trying to be nice. The, the insanity that that hellish man did to churches because they just gathered. What was the sin that they did? They just gathered to worship. They obeyed Christ, not the government. We are called to obey Christ and defy tyranny. Period. Our mandate is from God, not from the government. And I can promise you this, that if the Kansas governor ever gets on television and says, listen, you guys can't gather, guess what? We will gather even if I'm in handcuffs. We will gather here even if they put me in handcuffs. We are called to place our hope fully on the grace of Christ that will be brought out to us in salvation or redemption and the hope is in Christ alone and I know that man we live in a day that's dark in the world that's dark but we don't have to be downcast because we have a bright future we should be a different kind of people because of what Christ has accomplished in the world in our lives on our behalf and what we often do is we do like David in Psalms 43 5 he says why are you downcast on my soul why are you in turmoil within me Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My salvation is in God. My hope is in God. There is a reason we are to be different. And it's because our hope lies not in the circumstances, not in the position, not in our power. But our hope, rather, lies in the person and the work of Jesus Christ alone. Amen? So that's just verse 13. We got a ways to go. We'll cut it off here, but how would you give your life to Christ? Would you say, Jesus, I'm yours? Would you repent of your sins? Would you lay your life before him? Would you love him and follow him supremely? Oh, that you would today. Maybe as we come to the Lord's table, we're about to take the Lord's Supper this morning. And let me just tell you something. As we're here, if you're not a believer and you think, man, I don't know if I'm a Christian. You, that is not, the Lord's Supper is exclusively for Christians. If you're not a Christian, don't take it. 
And I, as the pastor, am held accountable. I'm held accountable. You read the text, you do the study. I am held accountable. If I just open this up and be like, anybody can have it. I'm letting you know, if you're not a Christian, don't take it. It's not for you. Now, if you're a believer and you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you, you've got no issues with, with, with sin in your life, man, take it. And we're going to remember who it is. But as we come before and, and take the, prepare ourselves for the Lord's table, maybe what you should do is take a few minutes just to examine your own heart. And if there is an instance where you have not loved Christ supremely in your life, and I'm, I'm going to encourage you to repent. I'm going to encourage myself to repent. And we need to ask God to renew a right spirit within us that we would not or that we would love him more than we love our sins. That we would love him supremely more than we love the world. That we would infinitely and supremely see him as better than anything else that this world has to offer. That's my hope for us today as we stand here and we, this is, we remember the sacrifice of what Christ did on the cross. His blood was shed on the cross for your sins. His body was stretched out on the cross. So that's what you deserved. And what would it, what do we, the reason it's, it's not just a cute saying on the front of the, of the table, do this in remembrance of me. This is a time to think about what Christ has done on your behalf. It's not something to enter into lightly. This is a, an ordinance that the, that the God has set up exclusively for believers. And man, if you've got sin in your life, you need to repent. If you've got pride, man, and be honest enough, like there's been times I've, I've refused the Lord's Supper because I knew that there was sin in my heart and I was angry and bitter and prideful. Nope, no thank you. And guess what? I will not disrespect you or think lightly, I actually will have more respect for you if you refuse the Lord's Supper if you've got sin in your life. But man, what I want us to do is just take a couple of minutes this morning and just pray and ask God. I'm going to have Marjorie come in if you just play something. Um, If you just take a few minutes, let's just pray and ask God to do a work in our heart and reveal sin in our lives. And then we're going to take the Lord's Supper.